My name is Brandon. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm the pastor of preaching here. Uh, would love to meet uh, after the gathering. Maybe just hear your story, hear your name, meet you. Uh, would love it. As I said, we've been in a series on the book of Matthew. And so let's get started. Uh, if, if we took a straw poll, just went out and asked our neighbors, uh, said, hey, uh, did Jesus exist? Uh, I think virtually everyone, uh, including all modern scholarship, would, would all agree, uh, yes, there was a historic figure named Jesus. Uh, but if we twisted the question or, or asked a different question and we just said, uh, okay, who is Jesus or who was Jesus? This is where the answers, an, uh, answers are going to diverge. Uh, and I think we're going to get one of two sets of answers. Answer uh, set one uh, is going to go that he was a religious leader, a, an, an ethical example, a moral teacher. Uh, or uh, set number two is going to go, it just doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter who he was, right? A guy who lived 2,000 years ago doesn't affect my life today, and so it just doesn't matter. And so what we're going to do today um, is we're going to look at two events in the life of Jesus, his uh, pretty well-known events, his baptism uh, and this uh, temptation that Matthew, uh, I think, brings together in one coherent story where he both uh, declares and then defends the deity of Jesus. And I think by the end, Christian or not, uh, I think we're going to see that it does matter. All right, let's get started. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, uh, to the Jordan, uh, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, "I need to be baptized by you." Side note: That's a very logical response from John, right? Uh, I'm baptizing people uh, for repentance. Jesus, you have nothing to repent of. I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And you come to me, verse fifteen. But Jesus answered him. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness that he consented. So here's the scene. Uh, the scene sets up this way. Uh, Jesus comes out to John the Baptist and says, hey, I need to be baptized. John the Baptist uh, says, uh, no, no, I don't think so. And Jesus says, yeah, no, I, I think so. Uh, and we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Matthew Rimmer is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and the words uh, fulfill in righteousness would have been flag words. They'd have been words that when a Jew read them, they went, oh, get it. Uh, that fulfill becomes shorthand for um, tracing back to the Old Testament, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then righteousness would have sent the Jewish reader uh, back to Isaiah, uh, that there was this righteous servant who is going to come who would be the suffering servant because Matthew's primary objective is to show Jesus as the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Messiah, which matters because of what is about to happen. Verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, so in this uh, coherent story that John the Baptist, or I'm sorry, not John the Baptist, Matthew is uh, telling, there, there are three beholds. Three places where he writes this word that's, Behold, look, look, you got, like, of all the things you want to see, you've got to see this. Behold, the first behold, the Spirit of God descended like a dove onto Jesus. 
the second behold, the Father's voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And this is a declaration not from Matthew, but from the Father about the deity of Jesus. And so let me tell you how we get that. Where we get that from, I don't want to just blanketly take my word for it. Um, that Son of God language is, is the language out of the Scriptures where we get um, our Nicene Creed from, which is this, our confessional statement at Sojourn, and it's this historic document where the church came together and said, yes, we, we affirm these things as faithful summaries of what Christians believe. And inside of the Nicene Creed, it says this, that we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. All right, see the word begotten in there? Uh, that's, a, that's a word that didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of the Scriptures. It's used um, throughout the Scriptures in places like John 1.14, where it says, speaking of Jesus, that we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Where it says only Son, um, it's, uh, I don't know why modern translations leave out begotten, to be honest. It, it's the compound word mono, only begotten, only begotten, the only begotten Son of God. And the word only begotten, it, uh, it, it, it means one of a kind. So only begotten, this, this word here, the word that gets used later in the creeds, it, it, it means one of a kind. It's not talking about birth. It means this unique identity. So I had this uh, professor in college who was, I, I, he was, I loved him. He was my favorite. He was 6'10". He had fingers like that long. He would like hold his hands here and touch his chin. It was awesome. This is the way he would say it. This is what he would say. If a cow has a son, a cow begets a cow. If God has a son, God begets God. The early readers of Matthew would have known what he was saying. They would have understood this son of God language as a statement of deity. And they'd have been skeptical and have doubted, which is why he backs it up now with a defense of his deity and his temptation. So Matthew 4, let's look at it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So pause. The first activity of the Spirit is what? The Spirit descends onto Jesus, and then what does the Spirit do? Leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, which is why um, I think the word then, a better understanding, might be therefore. Right? When you trace the Scriptures from beginning to end, this is what you find. Spiritual baptism, therefore spiritual battle. They always go hand in hand. Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, therefore it leads him into temptation. And what does it look like? Verse 3. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. All right, so here is Satan's fundamental question to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, then. If you are the Son of God. Hey, if you're the Son of God, then. What's he doing? Here's what Satan is doing. He's taking the words of the Father from 3.17, this is my beloved Son, and turning them into a taunt. He said, oh, okay, Son of God. If you're the Son of God, then you know what you need to do? You've got to take these stones and turn them into loaves of bread. And hey, listen, Jesus, I didn't get that out of nowhere. What did John the Baptist say? Um, just 
a few verses earlier, 3-9, there were some religious people coming out to John the Baptist, and he said, hang on, hey, don't, don't, don't presume on Abraham for your salvation. God can t- turn stones into worshipers. And hey, listen, Jesus, if God can turn stones into worshipers, surely you can turn them into bread. In fact, in fact, you must. The Lord command, it's an imperative. It's Satan saying, hey, it's imperative that you do this. Uh, hey, if you're the son of God, then it's imperative that you prove it. You've got to prove it, Jesus. Prove that you are the son of God. And how does he respond? He responds, quoting Deuteronomy 8, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus looks at Satan and he says, no, man, I've got a different imperative. I've got a whole nother imperative. My imperative is that I obey and live by the words of my Father, the words of God. I don't, I don't need just bread. I need the words of God. But now look where Satan goes. Because listen, Satan is crafty, right? I, uh, uh, we would call him scrappy today, right? He is scrappy and he's crafty. Some of y'all got that and some don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I'll show you. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said it to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Look at this, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. See what Satan just did? Quoted the Bible. All right, Jesus, hey, you, you, you want to spit Bible at me? I can spit Bible right back at you. Hey, if you're the son of God, in fact, I'll slip, a, I'll slip an imperative in there again. You must throw yourself down. Because listen, you might not want to do what John the Baptist had to say, but listen, this is Scripture, man. You, you can't disobey Scripture, Jesus. You, you must do this. You have to throw yourself down and show that you are the son of God. You can't disobey the Bible, Jesus. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6. And he says, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But here's the thing. Jesus' quote right here from, John, uh, from Deuteronomy um, 6, 16, he, he left something off. He left off an ending. And the Jewish reader would have, it, he would have heard that scene, that known what was happening. It would have been akin to, and my wife doesn't ever do this, but imagine if my wife did this. We're in a fight, we're arguing, and my wife looks at me and just goes, Brandon, it is really frustrating when you. Like the silence means something, doesn't it? Like I need to know what's happening right there for me to know what's going on in her. The silence here means something. Here's the full quote from Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. He left off as you tested him at Massah. And here's what's happening. Here's what happened back then, um, or at Massah. There was a time when Israel, uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, where uh, they were in Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, and then God sends Moses in, they're being delivered out, uh, they're en route uh, from Egypt to the promised land. You can imagine the excitement at first. They're, they're going. God has said we're going to have this land. We're going to get the land. We're going to be there. We're going to be a people in our land. And then all of a sudden it takes a lot longer than they expected. It's not going quite as planned. And they look at one another. And in Exodus seven seventeen, this is what it says. So they look at each other and they ask this question. Is the Lord even among us? 
Does the Lord even among us, does He hear, does He even care? Like, Man, we, we'd have been better off there. Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? My life was better off there. Here's the point that Israel tested the Lord because they didn't trust the Lord. And in Jesus' silence, here's what He's saying. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm not going to test the Father because I trust the Father. I'm not going to test the Father because I trust the Father. Can we do some real talk in here? We're going to do it anyway. Some of us in this room at some point have to go from testing to trusting. I mean, at some point, we've got to stop playing the testing game and eventually start trusting the Lord with our lives. But here's what we do. Here's the game that we play. Here's the game that we play. We, um, we test the Lord with what we trust most. So we say this. We say, Lord, listen, I, 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 um, I will believe that you're for me. I will believe that you love me. I will believe that you're with me, that you're among not just us, but me, that you care about my life when you give me X. And what is X? X can be a thousand things under the sun, from job to home to spouse to a date to children to you name it to that relationship with your mother or your father that you never had. When you give me X, I'm in. Here's what's happening. You're saying, Lord, I, I will trust you. I'll stop testing you when you give me the thing that I think will give me meaning and identity and purpose. That thing that I've always wanted. When you give it to me, I'll stop playing the game. Listen, I, I, I have no doubt. I just, I just have no doubt. I have no doubt. I have no doubt in this room that there are some of us in here who are looking at our lives and we're going, Lord, if you cared, my life would look nothing like this. Like either, Lord, you don't care about me or you're not strong enough to fix what's going on in my life. Either way, I'm on the verge of checking out. Like my marriage would not be the way that it is. I would not go to bed lonely every single night. I would not be on the, that, that carousel of employment, unemployment, employment, unemployment. I wouldn't have got passed over by everyone at my job. And so we all have cabinets in our heart that we do this with. Like we've all got these little areas in our life where we go, hey, listen, Lord, I'm, 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 I, I want... To, to trust you, but, but right now I, I want to test you over here. Like, we've all got these areas that we actually trust our lives to. I've got them, you've got them. And if you, if you are sitting here and you're saying, man, I, I just, this doesn't resonate, like, this isn't me. Maybe that's you, Brandon. I'm sorry that you're so broken. Then we're going to call that a blind spot. And we're going to ask the Lord to expose that blind spot. We're going to invite you into life in the church inside one of our neighborhood parishes so that men and women can come around you and help you expose that blind spot. And yes, it'll be painful. And yes, it'll be worth it.
Let's keep going. Satan moves on, just straight making an offer now. Verse 8. Then the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Here's what Satan is saying. Satan's saying, hey, listen, Jesus, I I can give you what the Father can. I can give you what God can, but you know what? I can do it now and with no pain. Saying, listen, I don't know what your heart's desire. It's got to be your heart's desire, Jesus. It's got to be what you want, and I can give it to you. And I can do it now, and there's going to be no cross. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no pain. Side note, if anyone ever offers you a Jesus that doesn't come with suffering, he's offering you a different Jesus than the Bible talks about. If anyone ever offers you a Jesus that comes with, you're going to finally get the job, you're going to finally have the house, you're going to finally get the promotion, you're going to finally get that car. It's a different Jesus than the one that we find in the Bible. And here's the thing about Satan. When we trace Satan from, uh, Satan from Genesis 3 to Jesus to us, he has one strategy. He's got one strategy. Twist the words of God, offer what only God can give, and then hope you bite. And listen, when we play the testing, not trusting game, you know what we're doing? We're, we're biting at the offer. We're biting. We're, we're like the fish in the water, snapping at fake food. The rubber or plastic, I don't, I don't fish, so I don't know what the things are made of, but whatever they're made of, we're snapping at it. And then, like a fish, we're hooked, and we get more and more and more, until all of a sudden, we don't even know how we ended up where we are. We've just been drugged along by our ambition, by our greed, by our insecurity. All because we bought in. Because we bit. So Jesus then responds to him. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Man, who doesn't want to say that? Like, I can feel the authority of Jesus in that. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus says, Hey, man, I'm not, I'm not biting. Hey, Satan, you can offer me all you want. I'm not biting. I'm not. like I've, I've got another agenda, and it's to do the Father's will. And then it says, the devil left him, and behold, behold, behold. You've got to see this. Behold. Here it is, Matthew highlighting. Behold, the angels. The angels came and were ministering to him. Why is that here? Because what did, what did Satan say? Hey, if you're the Son of God, you better throw yourself down. The angels better come. If you're the Son of God, they're going to come. Matthew's point, they came. He is the Son of God. But here's the thing. This wouldn't be Matthew's last defense of the deity of Jesus, nor would it be the last time someone looked at Jesus in the eye and said, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, the next time would be on the cross, Matthew 27, when they're walking by and they look at him, they say, save yourself. Save yourself. Hey, if you're the Son of God, get down. Hey, if you're the Son of God, Jesus, Get down. If you are, come down from that cross. And what does he do? Does he get down? No, instead he throws himself down. But not where Satan said to. He throws himself down into the darkness. 
throws himself into darkness into the wrath of the Father for you and for me so that we, so that we can say with the centurion just a few verses later, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. And so here's how I want to land the plane. Here's what I want to do. I want to pose Satan's question to us. I want to pose this question to us, and I want to look back into the the text, and I want to draw out a few implications that I think we we might find meaningful. And if we don't today, we will one day. So here's this question. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, first, if you are the Son of God, it means... It means I have an identity in Christ as secure as the Son's identity in the Father. If you are the Son of God, it means I have an identity as secure in Christ as the Son's identity in the Father. Now what Satan was doing was he was coming and challenging his identity. Hey, if you're the Son of God, you better prove it. You better prove it. And Jesus never doing anything but but relying on resting in the words of the Father that this is my beloved Son, that, G- that Satan was um, challenged. He was, who, who are you really, Jesus? Like, really, who are you? Who, in, in relationship to the Father, who are you? And Romans 8 says that if you believe in the Son, you become a child of God in Christ with an identity that is secure. Which means... Which means you can't sin your way out of it. You can't sin your way out of your identity in Christ. You didn't create your identity. You received your identity. You can't sin your way out of it. Now listen, you can prove by your life that you never had it to begin with. But once it's yours, it's a, it's, it's your, you are in Christ. You can't sin your way out of it. It also means that we... We can, listen, if my identity is in Christ, then my, my, it is as secure as Christ is in the Father. Then, then you know, you know what else that means? That means I, I don't have to live this constant circle of insecurity, always worrying about what people think of me. Like I don't have to, I don't have to be sitting here wondering and worrying what do you think of me? I don't have to go to work and wonder, what does my boss think of me? Your boss might think that you are the worst employee of all time and you might get fired next week. But you know what? You know what that does to your identity in Christ? Absolutely nothing. Can't be taken away. You know what else? Your, your boss might think that you are the greatest employee that he or she has ever had. You know what that does? I mean, you, you might be set up for promotion after promotion after promotion. You know what that does to your identity? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't add to it. It is yours in Christ, and it is secure. Second thing, if you are the Son of God, it means I can walk in a spiritual authority over Satan with the weapons Jesus had. Last time I read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 6, 
and said that I have the same weapons that Jesus had. I have the Spirit and I have the Word. I don't have his deity, so that's a problem. But I have the Spirit and I have the Word. And I can walk in spiritual authority, which means, listen to me, means you don't have to sin. You don't have to. Like you're under no moral obligation to sin. You understand that, right? Like you, you are under no moral obligation to walk in disobedience. Now, you're going to because we lack deity, but you're not obligated to. You're not obligated to. You're under no moral obligation to sin. But here's the beauty and the glory of the gospel. When you do, you, you, know, where, you know where grace comes from? It comes from your identity, not from your ability to do better next time. It comes from who you are in Christ. It comes from what you have, this secure identity in Christ. That's where grace comes from. It doesn't come from the chance the, the, that, that you can just do better. It means that you can walk in a spiritual authority. You don't have to sin. When you do, there's grace that comes from your identity in Christ as a child of God. And it means, it means that if you are the Son of God, I can live this text out and my life can be redefined. My life can be about declaring and defending the deity of Christ. My, my life can be about so much more than am I going to get a promotion? Um, am I not? Am I going to have children? Am I going to? All things that are good. But my life can be about so much more than we invite you into neighborhood parishes. We say, hey, listen, get into a neighborhood parish. Walk with others. You know why? Because you're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to live your life alone. You're not meant to defend, declare the deity of Jesus alone. You know what else you're not meant to do? You're not meant to discover your identity in Christ alone. You're not meant to walk in authority over sin, over sin, over sin, sin, sin in your life alone. So, at the risk of having a really cheesy last line to the opening sermon of 2017, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fight that temptation. I've got the spirit. One of y'all got that. Okay. What do we hope for our community? What do, what do we hope for us, for you, for me? Hope that we in 2017 might live this out. That, that we might consistently grow in and be reminded of our identity in Christ. That we might walk in a spiritual authority. And that we might, as a community, both declare and defend the deity of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we do love you. We do thank you that you would send your Son into the world. That you would, that you would, by your mercy and by your grace, invite us in. For those of us uh, in this room right now who are uh, the friend, the neighbor who, who just says, I just don't know that I believe this. I don't know that it matters. I, I pray that they would know that there is an identity grounded in Christ that they can have. It's on the table right now. And then for those of us who, who just know we're wrestling, we're just wrestling with this. We want to believe, we want to buy in, we want to stop testing, we want to start trusting. 
I pray that uh, today might be a day not of New Year's resolutions, but of new beginnings. The kind of new beginning where we stop playing the game and we start trusting the Lord with our lives. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.